seen lots of selling techs over the years and really haven't seen a lot of guys that are great at follow-up. Universally, they're just not great at follow-up. You know, they're ready for today's two or three calls or whatever you're going to give them. And, you know, they're they're not concentrating so much on what they quoted yesterday and didn't sell. That's just a, a mindset shift that has to happen there. If you're selling two or three million dollars a month, that means that you have three, four million dollars in, in quoted work that you didn't sell. Just working your book is just so critical. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your host, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you once again. Welcome here to the show and hope that your year is already off to a great start. We have a great start for you with this podcast. We are inviting Lawrence Castillo to be in your passenger seat. This guy is a mountain's worth of education and information about the home services industry, and it's going to be great. Before we do that, as we always do, we're going to spend a little bit of time breaking it down for you ourselves. And to that, we turn to Brian for a quote. A man who reads too much and uses his own brain too little falls into lazy habits of thinking. Albert Einstein. Wow. From the thinker himself. Yeah, tough love there, huh? Okay. Yeah, a little uh, introspective. You know, I think it was Andrew Carnegie. Maybe it wasn't. It was somebody on that level (laughs) who said uh, thinking is the hardest and highest paying job in the world. And most people would rather die than do it. Ooh. And it always stands out to me because we get in these, you know, modes of, you know, how it is we do it here. We're, we're doing everything right. No point in, in really breaking down and dissecting our processes and our performance and trying to get better and, you know, innovating things. Instead of doing, you know, we pride ourselves on, on innovation. Like it's what we, it's what we, you know, pat ourselves on the back for. We're constantly looking at everything we do and going, how can we do this more strategically? But sometimes we just get in these ruts where we're cool, you know, everything's fine. And apply thinking to that to break ourselves out of it. But boy, how easy is it, especially when you're listening to a <laughs> Just an amazing podcast like Waste No Day, you know, if I say so myself. Sure, yeah. Where you're drinking from a fire hydrant, you're just trying to get sips out of this massive waterfall. And it's really easy to, you know, just tickle your intellect with everything you hear, but it can be tough to pick one thing to take action on. And this episode is going to be that. (laughs) That's right. Lawrence and I spent some time on the phone. And now text each other pretty often. He's like, the dude's just a beast. I mean, he's you know he's come up under Jim Abrams and Leland Smith, and he's friends with Ken Goodrich. They they uh, have have Ken's been a mentor for him. So like the best who have ever done it, you know, arguably in the industry 
are his mentors and people he worked for directly. And every time I get to talk to him, I'm like, you know, I want to be someone who brings something to the table too. So like, here's something that I have to offer, but I feel like, you know, I'm giving shekels to a king in a way. Mm. He's just you know, vastly more knowledgeable than me. So I'm trying to like, you know, drink from that fire hydrant. Right. But where do you start, man? I have a conversation with him, like the one before this episode. And I'm just like, you know, I had to hang up the phone and sit back and stare at the ceiling for a minute. <laughs> Nobody asked me a question or want me to do anything. Cause I'm going to lose everything we just talked about. But you, you know, you throw a dart at the dartboard of all the ideas and you just pick something like I'm going to work. Here we go. This is the thing. I think you're right, Brian. And the, the, uh, the danger of these types of seminars or sessions or podcasts is the, the flood of information and then not applying any of it because you're just basking in like, Whoa, that's a lot of great ideas. Really. That's, that's the case with any singular idea as well. The lack of application is what kills it. You can be the best thinker in the world, but if nothing ever happens from it, where do we go? Right. Deal. That's why, you know, hard work beats everything. The ability to apply something and go to work will out will trump ev- any intellect or talent that exists. That's why we like we went out to which is good news for you, Brian. That I don't need intellect or talent I, or good looks. You said it. I, <laughs> that's why um like when we went out to, to Southern California, we went and checked out Leland at the time Leland's operation, which was service champions. And then we checked out uh Ishmael Valdez's operation um Next gen. I, I want to say Service Avengers. That's his Facebook group, but Next Gen. And we took, you know, it was going to be like me and then me and you. And I'm like, well, we're, I'm not a recruiter. You're not a recruiter. I don't work in HR. You don't work in HR. So, you know, we have me, the, the at that time, operational sales manager. And then you, that time, what do you do for a living? Marketing or something? <laughs> Yeah, something like that. Yeah, podcast. Yeah, uh, and then we brought at that time our recruiter and our our director of human resources and Steph, who's actually the voice on the intro to yeah. the show. Yeah, shout, shout out, out to, to Steph. And all of us had notepads, and we took down as many things as we possibly could, and then on the way back, talked about what things are immediately getting implemented. And that is what you have to do here. I know I talked to some people who have used my note to self notepad on the passenger seat thing that I did in a truck where they'll hear something and they'll take a note. I don't remember who was it. Do you remember? I think I sent it to you. Dude said he, uh, he'll just reach up onto his phone. That's, you know, hanging from his dashboard and screenshot when he's, when he hears a great idea, he'll oh, screenshot okay. it. And then when he gets home, he goes through his, his pictures and he finds the screenshot and he's like, that's at, you know, 23 minutes and 16 seconds. And he listens again and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he writs the idea that's down. That's clever. I he, like that. Yeah. Then he tries to take uh, take action on it. Yeah. Really, really safe to say that there's never been a screenshot of the Wasting Day podcast in the first 15 minutes. <laughs> he, I think he, he wasn't talking about Wasting Day. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was just talking about Tommy Mello's podcast. <laughs> it's like Gary V's podcast. Yeah. So, uh, you know, strategies, idea. They're there has to be a strategy to take it to take action on things like podcasts like this. Like you have to have thought that through before you go into it. It may actually make sense to get ready to, to listen to something like this. 
especially an episode like this one, especially an episode like the next one. Yeah. And you had brought up a concept uh, a couple podcasts ago. I'm trying to think of it now where when you hear that great idea, like immediately you need to take action on it. Like this is what I'm going to do with that. The five second rule. That's what it was. Yeah. You start counting down. I'm going to count down from five and I'm going to take an action on this idea. Five, four, three, two, one, go. And maybe for me, a lot of, most of the time, because I, you know, kind of lazy, I don't work that hard, not very bright. If you're looking for an argument. Again, I'm not talented at anything. (laughs) So for me, a lot of times, it's just shooting an email or a text to somebody who is all of those things, which (laughs) Nate tends to be most of those things. My inbox is flush with Brian Burton emails. Crazy, yeah, sporadic ideas that don't make a whole lot of sense in email form. But I'll, but up for me, it's like I get a good idea and I'm going to email someone I can delegate it to or email someone who will put it on our IDS list for our you know, EOS traction meetings every week. And then we can cover it as a group and decide if it's worth taking action on. Right. That's a good thing. Text it, email it, put it on a notepad, put yourself a reminder, but be ready to take action on an episode like this one because Lawrence is bringing some heat. You know, I think one of the things that uh, we can fall prey to is, you know, when you're listening to something, you get into a passive mode, like you you just become a receiver. And to some degree, it it can turn your mind off a little bit in terms of that action step, especially when you're listening to like a podcast or I'll, I'll relate it to music, right? So imagine listening to a three and a half minute song and like every 15 seconds you stop it and say, well, that was an amazing guitar riff. Like, I wonder how they did that. I wonder how I could apply that same strategy to my guitar playing. Like that's almost some of what you have to do. And like, it's okay to hit pause on a, on a podcast and like think about what was just discussed. In fact, I'd probably recommend that as opposed to just blitzing through an hour's long worth of fire hose information and then trying to recollect what it all was about. Hit the pause button at, you know, 17 minutes, 35 seconds, and think about what just happened and how you can apply that into your life, your business, your truck, whatever it is, and, and make those things happen. That's where you're going to start seeing that incremental growth rather than trying to go through the whole thing and trying to remember what was there. I mean, Brian, you and I have, have spent many years going to the Global Leadership Summit, and we would hear top-notch speaker after top-notch speaker after top-notch speaker talk about incredible things, many of which were applicable to our our lives, our business. And you get to the end of the day and you're just like, I'm drained. I got nothing. And then it just feels like a waste because you have all that information. But to be able to hit pause, like in a live seminar, to be able to hit pause and like literally break down that subject in your head like you can do on a podcast, I think there's a lot of value there. Yeah, remember when Denzel was... uh going to be there two years in a row <laughs> and didn't show up both years uh we did get to see chris voss though which that, is cool that is how we came upon chris voss yes sir it was, uh seven years ago or six years ago and then we decided to start the podcast and one of the first names that popped up in my head getting that dude on made it happen <clears throat> episode yeah. 100 for the record denzel never showed up two years <laughs> in a row so still salty with that guy great movies, it's okay though. yeah great movies is right Well, this is going to be a great podcast and really excited for the opportunity to invite Lawrence on. But before that, we're going to turn to our review of the week. Great show. Five stars. Man, I have learned so much from this. Mike. Oh, boy. I don't see any way to get this right. Let's go. Mike P. What's up, Mike P? (laughs) PZ. Mike P-O-N-K-F-N. 
E N F. Is that real? I think Mike misspelled it. <laughs> he misspelled his name. In case he didn't. Dude, that's a sick last name, bro. That's nice. I like that. All Don't right. you like that little chirp? Put yeah, I I do. I'll put that in my Mike's next rap. Ponkinf. <laughs> put that in Google and see how it spits it out. You know what the problem is now? Anyone with a weird last name is like, I'm not writing those guys. <laughs> Make fun of my last name. We like know. you, Mike. Next time you can just go by Mike Miller or something like that. But it's, it's cool. We like you. Mike B. And Nate's going to cut all this out so nobody will ever hear it. We appreciate, <laughs> we appreciate the review, buddy. I'm glad you learned so much. This episode in particular, you're going to learn so much more. I Absolutely. Assure you. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to put none other than Lawrence Castillo in your passenger seat. Our guest today is Lawrence Castillo. He has 25 plus years in the industry and is widely considered one of the best operators in the country. He's been a former GM of Service Champions. He's been a former GM of the largest HVAC company in Canada. He's been a former GM of One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning in Los Angeles and is now currently residing as the president and operating partner of Brody Pinnell Heating and Air Conditioning based out of Los Angeles. Brody Pinnell is the largest HVAC company in LA and has been voted best heating and air conditioning company for readers of the LA Times in 2021 and 22. Congratulations, Lawrence. Brody Pinnell is also one of only two contractors in America that has won the Carrier President's Award every year in existence and is now in their 77th year of business. Welcome to the show, Lawrence. Thanks for inviting me on, guys. Pleasure to be here. And I'm a fan. I think that, uh, the podcasts that I've heard you guys do with many people that I know, um, they've been great. And so I'm excited to chat with you guys this morning. What was your favorite one? Um, you know, I liked most more recently. I liked one that you guys did with, with Ken, um, Goodrich, of course. Uh, and just to hear some of the, you know, he, 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 he shared a little bit on, on the, the show with you guys that I haven't heard him share before. So, He's somebody I've known for 20 years as well and uh, a lot of respect for him and, and for what he's done in the industry and for the industry. Yeah, same same here. He's done not just the industry, but me personally. So he's, uh, he's one of those guys that anytime he pops up on any of the, the trade podcasts, I'm like quick to download and listen. Smart man and, and lots of lessons to be learned um, from him and just, uh, you know, an incredible success and in, in what he's done uh, with his companies over the years. So speaking of incredible success, we were put on to you or each other by Dylan Moya. who's an incredible success himself and an incredible fan of yours. And, and he's, uh, I think, two, two separate conversations I've had with Dylan. He's brought you up and said, you know, we just we got to make this happen because what a legend you are in the industry. So we're really excited to, to finally make it happen. You and I got to chat, which was a, as I was telling Nate a half hour ago, it was a fantastic conversation. Um, I don't I think we had like 30 minutes booked and ended up going an hour and 15 or something, which is always tells me it's going to be a good episode. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it as well. And, you know, always, uh, always good to chat with people who have fought the same battles and, you know, been in the same wars. Well, Lawrence, uh, we're so grateful that you've taken the time to spend with us today. And you're certainly a man that is also familiar with success. But for some of those who are listening to this, they may not be as familiar with you. Uh, we always like to have a little bit of an introduction from our podcast. So 
uh, for the guests that we have on that day. And if you would be so kind as to give us the elevator speech of who Lawrence Castillo is. Sure. Um, I'm just a guy that runs air conditioning companies. Um, I am the president and operating partner of Brody Pinnell Heating and Air Conditioning in Los Angeles. Um, we are a 77-year-old company uh, on the west side of LA, and um, we are just completing uh, a couple of days away from completing the biggest year in our 77-year history. Oh, congrats. Um, thank you. Thank you. We, uh, in the last calendar year, I've added between 30 and 40 bodies here. Um, we've just changed a lot of process and really changed the, the face of the company. Um, and so really proud of what my team has done here. Um, and, but prior to that, uh, you know, I think that most of my career has been spent, um, in airtime 500 companies, uh, companies that, you know, work clockwork home services, uh, or airtime companies and, or, or, or lived by those, uh, you know, the, the, the playbook that, that we were given many years ago. Um, and, you know, I, I had a chance to, to run three companies for Leland Smith, um, service champions, and then, uh, the first two acquisitions that service champions made. And I also, uh, had, had the good fortune to, to be the GM of the, the largest heating and plumbing company in Canada, uh, which is in Vancouver. And so, you know, I've, over the years, I've been able to learn a lot of, a lot of great stuff from a lot of smart people and, and, you know, I'm here applying it in my own business every day. And um, I've just never really been exposed to just some really brilliant stuff. So I'm fortunate. I've, uh, you know, I've, I have the equivalent of a Harvard education in HVAC, right? When you work for Jim Abrams and Leland Smith, um, it just doesn't get any better than that. And I'm very grateful to both of those gentlemen. Um, the stuff that I learned from them, I use every day. And, you know, Mr. Abrams' book, uh, the contractor's um, guide to success, you know, sits in my desk drawer and I still refer to it all these years later. And, um, you know, Leland, I, I spoke to him last week and I still chat with these guys. I spoke to Mr. Abrams a couple months ago and, you know, just very, very grateful. And um, I've had a good run. So I love the attitude there, Lawrence, and certainly something that we appreciate as well. And that's kind of the focus of what today's episode is going to be on. You have the benefit of consolidating decades worth of education under some of the best of the best, uh, including your own experience into our podcast today. And we're really hoping to get that Harvard level education in, you know, the, the minutes that we have together. Uh, I'm curious though, how did you first get into the trades? Like what, what was your experience of getting into the industry in general? It was really by accident. Um, one of my good friends, uh, our kids went to school together and he had a, a little residential company in Simi Valley, California. And he was really, it was a little bit upside down and we had chatted and he knew that, you know, I, I was a guy that knew how to run a business. And so he brought me in as his general manager, um, on day one. And I had, I had no heating and air conditioning experience. I knew nothing about it. And I, you know, I walked in the door and I just started with the books on the shelf and the books on the shelf all said either contractor success group or clockwork home services. And, you know, I, I went through all of that stuff and 
just sort of taught myself. And, um, you know, I, I, back, you know, back in those days, there was, it, it, you know, teaching yourself was a little different, you know, today, these kids, they go onto YouTube and there are, there are, um, ways to learn today that there weren't many years ago. So I did what I had to do. I, I rode along with service technicians. I went out on installations. I unloaded the trucks for the warehouse. I booked calls. I, you know, batched invoices. I did everything just to, to learn the business. And it, you know, it wasn't, I realized quickly that this was something that I could be good at. And, um, you know, in short order, inside of a couple of years, we were able to turn that company around and went ahead and sold it to a national consolidator. And, uh, after that, I ended up at, at one hour. So great first experience and all that airtime experience and that first opportunity, you know, then I get to walk into, into one hour and, you know, I, I already know the systems and the processes and, you know, just a great experience to be able to work directly for Mr. Abrams because I ran one of the corporate owned centers. There were only a handful of corporate owned centers at that time. Everything else was a franchise. And so that meant that I had plenty of time with him um, in person on the phone. He was very interested in making our location a success. And, you know, we, it was a very challenged location for many reasons. A lot of people sat behind the desk um, in, in that location to try to get it fixed. Um, and, you know, a great opportunity. I loved what I learned there, made so many great friends. I think that the, the, you know, from a, from a peer group perspective, what airtime afforded us was to be able to meet other contractors, share ideas, and just establish friendships that I've carried with me for so many years. And so that was really critical, I think, to the next steps, you know, for me. Um, you know, and then later in my career, of course, service champions. Um, I, you know, I, I owe Leland Smith a, a great debt of gratitude. I, I, I learned so much in that business and, you know, so much smart stuff, stuff that I haven't seen before, um, stuff that I haven't seen in, you know, in, in the doors of those other locations. So, and all of that stuff is, is stuff that I keep with me today and I use in my business today. You know, the, the success of Leland Smith is not accidental, right? There's a reason that you know, the service champions group owns 25 businesses and, you know, they're success, they're so successful and that these companies are so profitable. So. I, I've, you know, I've been fortunate, um, but like I said, so much of it just goes back to the processes and stuff that we learned from Mr. Abrams and Mr. Young many, many years ago. So, um, but I use it all today still and, um, uh, you know, it's worked for me. Yeah. Really cool tie in, uh, for Brian and I specifically, because we're part of the one hour franchise that Jim Abrams would have started originally. And it's neat to have somebody from uh, the heritage there uh, on the podcast today. So Lawrence, uh, one of the things about getting an education is they usually start with the basics, right? I mean, you learn arithmetic before you learn multiplication, before you learn uh, the quadratic equation and everything else that goes on behind it. Uh, is, that, when, is that something you learned in the 11th grade? Because <laughs> I only went through the 10th. What now? <laughs> yeah, don't ask me to do it now. I can't. <laughs> but Lawrence, when you think about, uh, you know, the basics in, in terms of low-hanging fruit stuff, 
uh, things that people often overlook or they, they focus on it and then they get distracted from it for some other shiny object. When it comes to running an HVAC business or being a tech in the field, what are the basics that you think we should focus on? I think if you're an operator or an owner, um, you know, the basics are to me, number one, be involved in your business in the day to day. I think that so many guys, you know, they get to a point where they hit, you know, a few million in revenue, whatever that is, whether that's, you know, three or 4 million, whether that's 10 or 15, whether that's 35 and they're not involved and they start to, you know, enjoy life, which everybody has, you know, everybody should when they, you know, reach some modicum of success. But inevitably, if I, if I stray too far away from this business and I start traveling all month or I'm away and can't be reached or I'm just, you know, my employees are texting me, our results are going to suffer, right? And, you know, it, it's the work ethic that you learn from whoever taught it to you, right? I, I still stand in front of my technicians and do meetings. I do performance reviews. I, I'm, you know, I run this business and I don't, I don't leave it to anybody else to run. Um, not that I'm, you know, there aren't things that I, I don't delegate, but you know, I, I know why I've had the success that I've had and, and I take those things and I, you know, I apply them today. So, you know, I have lots of very successful friends who have sold their businesses and, um, you know, who aren't as involved anymore, but, you know, we are, I'm in it knee deep every day. So that's the first thing for any owner or operator is you have to be there. Um, you know, don't roll in at 10 o'clock and think that you're going to have the admiration or the respect of the people who drive a truck with your name on the side of it. Um, that's number one. Uh, number two, it's just to concentrate on the basics that you've learned that have, you know, made a difference for you. I, I manage this business by the numbers. That's the way I learned to manage it. Um, you know, we distribute calls based upon performance. If you're not performing, you're getting spoken to. You might get written up. Everyone understands their, you know, their place in the business and the, the expectations. Um, you know, we're always recruiting. And, you know, so, I, I, you know, the, the accountability piece is, is really big for me. Um, so for contractors who are just letting guys drive around in a truck that isn't profitable, that's not a sustainable situation. And, you know, that, that kind of madness has to stop. But if you're not in your business and you're not paying attention to these things, then, you know, bad things will happen. Um, you know, we have call count meetings here. I, I'm recruiting like a madman all the time. Um, you know, I, I set up this business so that we create leads from service base. I'm trying to keep my marketing spend, you know, down to six or 7%, which is where we've lived pretty much here. Um, and that's because I create my own leads every day, right? I, my service department creates my sales leads daily. Um, you know, there are a lot of contractors out there that don't have a written plan. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to reverse engineer your way to success, but, the, the new year is starting and it's a great opportunity for contractors who are not doing it to establish a budget and a manpower plan, um, you know, that, that so that you know what it will take to, to achieve your budget next year. 
to establish a marketing plan so that you can get the call count that you need to hit that budget. Um, to, to look at the calls that you're not booking, you know, everybody's throwing money at marketing and saying, I don't have enough calls. And half the time you do have the calls, you're just not booking them. It, the same goes with rehashing the leads that you're not selling. It's amazing how many contractors or, you know, their salespeople are out there selling 35, 40%. And, but the other 60% of the leads that they're quoting, they just let them go. Right. And your competitors are selling them. And if you had somebody in the seat who was working those leads, you're going to pick up. That's just, that's low hanging fruit right there. And not enough people are working on that, but the very, the, the great and successful contractors do it. You know, service champions does it. They have a whole room full of people that they're calling people the day that, that they quote and trying to get it closed on the back end, right? Um, there are just so many things that, you know, there's a whole laundry list of things that contractors can do to just, even without, without um, bringing in new customers, it's just the stuff that you have in your own service space, right? It's the jobs you quoted, it's the leads you're not booking. You have all this information. You have all these people that called you and wanted to do business with you and didn't for whatever reason, but like, you got to go back. You got to, you got to talk to these people again. And if you're doing that, there's the low hanging fruit. You know, that's, that's for a lot of companies that that's millions in revenue. Um, and for smaller contractors, it's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, but it's there and it's in your service base. You know, you just have to take the time to train somebody to sift through it, reconnect with people and give them a reason to, to do business with you. So these are, you know, some of the things that we do here on a daily basis. And, you know, these are, these are things that there are so many lessons for small contractors who haven't had exposure to some of those, you know, some of that great stuff, but it, you know, these are the, that's some of the low hanging fruit that I think that people can, you know, take a look at to, to be able to change their business. So Lawrence, uh, great stuff there to start off with. And one of the things that, you know, we focus on here is certainly coming at this from a technician's perspective. As you think about your experience with techs and, and dealing with them and, and growing the base and, and everything else that comes with it, what have been some of the, the key turning points in terms of either how you've trained technicians to approach the client, or maybe it's more that follow-up, you know, hey, we, I, I met with you last week and this is me three days later giving you a ring to see, did you make a decision on that? What have been some of the things that you have seen over the years really take hold and make a difference in your business from a technician's perspective? Great question. Um, seen lots of selling techs over the years and really haven't seen a lot of guys that are great at follow-up, right? And I'm talking about many, many years and many, many successful technicians. And universally, they're just not great at follow-up. You know, they're ready for today's two or three calls or whatever you're going to give them. And, you know, they're, they're not concentrating so much on what they quoted yesterday and didn't sell, right? And, you know, that's, that's just a, a mindset shift that has to happen there because they've got, you know, if you're selling two or $3 million a month, that means that you have three, $4 million in, in quoted work that you didn't sell. And just working your book is just so critical. Um, many of them, them don't do that, but I, I think that, you know, and that's why companies have rehash departments. 
They have rooms full of people, smart companies. They have people that will sit there and start to contact these customers immediately. And, you know, I think that's the fail safe. I, I just don't know that you can, not that you don't trust your field personnel, but these are, you know, if you're the owner or operator listening to this, these are your leads. You've paid for these leads, right? These are your customers or potential customers. You have to do everything that you can to close those deals. You can't leave it in the hands of your comfort advisors. You can't leave it in the hands of your selling technicians. You have to step in and get somebody else involved. And oftentimes, just having a different voice on the phone with a different offer is going to do it. But guys, universally, for a selling technician to answer the original question, um, you know, some people are very organized, right? And they keep a very detailed ledger of the calls that they've run. And they will, you know, do a handwritten note thanking them for the opportunity. And they will schedule alarms on their phone to, to call back and to, uh, you know, take another, take another whack at it. Um, but, you know, many of them just, they're not good at that. And just look at the cab of their truck, right? That's going to tell you everything about their life. They're either organized <laughs> or they're not. Yeah, right? Right. And so, you know, I don't know that you can, you can do your best, you know, schedule one call in the morning, you know, one day a week where everybody comes into the meeting room and they're working on talking to people. Right. Um, but it, it takes that kind of intervention sometimes, right? You have to make them do it because they're not going to want to do it. So the accountability piece, once again, um, I don't know that I have a great answer for how to make them do it. Um, but as the owner or operator, you have to, figure it out and make sure that somebody's, you know, going back behind these quoted leads. So for what it's worth, that's probably the best answer I have for you. Right. And I so appreciate that for the guys that you have seen, um, maybe they're more naturally bent towards it, or maybe they've just disciplined themselves into doing it. Uh, can you speak to like what that practically looks like? Or are they doing those phone calls between calls? Are they taking time in their evening to make those phone calls? Do they, you know, does dispatch give them a, a long lunch break to do follow-up? Or what, what does that practically look like where everybody's winning? For me, it's a revisit. Um, you know, it's, it's, you either have a sales lead coordinator who works closely with that selling technician and he's talking to that person and saying, okay, I just went out to Mr. and Mrs. Jones's house. Here's the situation. They're out of town for a week. They want to do it, blah, blah, blah. I need to get back in that house. I need you to call them on this day. Get me back there in the evening. So I got two legs and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, the revisit, I think, is the best way. And, and that's why you have a sales lead coordinator, right? They're, they're, they're going to, at least in my business, they're going to be the ones to help bridge the gap. And, you know, they're the ones that book the lead in the first place, right? There's already a, a, great, a great rapport and a, and a great relationship from, you know, between the person that booked the call and, and, and the customer and, you know, they can get you back in the house. And if you can get back in the house, you know, and take another, if they're willing to have you back in the house, they're interested in buying, right? They're not going to have you back out there if, if they're not, if they're not buyers. So I think that, you know, the revisit, um, is the best way to do that. Um, you know, and, and as opposed to phone calls, I think that, you know, a lot of guys will do a lot of emailing, right? Um, and I guess the, the, the positive on the emails is that everybody looks at their email, right? A lot of 
if you go <laughs> yeah, out, not our technicians. They just don't look at your emails, Nate. Look, they're so long. He never hits that return button. There's no break. You know, there's no separation in paragraphs. I try to tell them all the time. We're, you know, we're text, man. Okay. We're not, we're not uh, professional readers. Continue on Lawrence uh, emails. Everybody but no. us looks at their emails or but mine. That's fine. <laughs> got it. Yeah, they, they've got you blocked. It goes into the junk, right? Exactly. I think that, you know, back before there was the ability to email your customer, you were relying upon the phone call and it's so easy for the customer to not answer the phone. Right. They, they can just see, Oh, it's, it's that guy from one hour calling. Let's just, yeah, we're not going to do anything. There. Let's not answer that. Let's go to, let it go to voicemail. So you didn't really have the opportunity to get your, you know, your point across. But with a, with a, with a, a good email, you're able to get back in front of them and state your case, right? It, if used properly, it can be very effective. Um, but, you know, that's, once again, this comes to organization and discipline, right? And the guys who are selling five and six and $7 million, they're better with that than the guys that are selling a million and a half and two million bucks, right? They're leaving it all on the table. They're not following up. And if they would follow up and if they would capture some of those on the second chance around, they'd be selling 3 million or 4 million. So Lawrence, I mean, there's a, there's a dozen different ways of doing sales in the field from a technician's or a comfort advisor's or a selling tax perspective. We just had a really interesting podcast uh, the other week uh, regarding doing a buddy system, uh, which was a pretty cool innovation. Uh, I know there's companies that run sole uh, comfort advisors. There's companies that have selling techs and everything in between. What is the Lawrence Castillo preferred way of doing sales and why do you like it? Another great question. Um, so, you know, it used to be there were only two ways to sell, right? You either ran the selling technician model or you ran comfort advisors or some mixture of them. But there's a third way today. And that is exactly what you guys just alluded to. The third choice is to either have a channel manager or a supervisor and to be selling that way. So there are now three ways to sell a job. Um, and the, you know, the episode that you alluded to with Daniel Arroyas with the buddy checks, you know, I, I managed Daniel at Service Champions and he is just outstanding on those calls. And, you know, we had a, a system where he, you know, acted as the supervisor or channel manager and he has a little team of technicians, three or four. And those guys, you know, they're working for him. and you know, they're, they're running their first call and on their first call, Daniel is talking to Johnny technician and, you know, 30 minutes into the call and Johnny technician is saying, Hey, Daniel, there's nothing here. this thing said it was a 2002. It's actually a 2020, you know, I'm going to finish up here and, and I'll talk to you on my next call. And then he talks to his next guy, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I've been here for 40 minutes. I've got it all torn apart. It's a ream criterion. I got both legs here. They like me. They've, they gave, they gave me coffee, blah, blah, blah. And Daniel is on his way to that call. Right. But he's got to keep track of all these guys. And, you know, there's, there's an art to being, to building a, a schedule that makes sense so that you don't have three guys that need you at the same time. So there's a dispatch 
um, you know, they have to know how to prioritize these calls and to build the schedule so that it works. But that is a, is a really effective, effective way of, of doing this. Let me tell you, you know, Daniel Arroyos and Brent Buckley, they're not running marketed leads, right? These guys are putting up the numbers that they put up because they're in a system that is set up for success. And, you know, both of those guys are just, they're King Kong at what they do, but they're, they, the system is in place. And, but that, you know, the buddy check system, it's, it's just a great way of, of running calls. Um, you know, there's strength in numbers. And when you have two people at the house telling you the same thing, and, you know, they're putting on a great customer service show, they're educating the customer. When all of this is going on, you, you've got the momentum, right? And you're able to put the customer on the market and take them off the market on the same day. And people feel good about the decision. And additionally, you're getting your price because they weren't planning on spending $20,000 today, right? But, you know, for folks who are, you know, interviewing contractors and, and collecting bids, that's a race to the bottom, right? Like, you know, they, they've got a stack of bids and, you know, you're, the, the expectation is that you're going to come in and to win the job, you're going to have to be lower. And if you're selling off of a tune-up or a repair call like you do in the buddy check system, there's, you know, the customer is not expecting to buy a system today. And so that's, the, you know, that's the beauty of a technician turned lead is that, you know, your margins on those calls are traditionally much larger um, because you're not, you know, one of seven bids. So I, I love that system um, here at my company. I have a mixture and uh, you know, and I, I have a few guys that have been here for a very long time who, you know, run marketed leads and I have, you know, selling technicians. I've got, I've got the whole thing here, but it's just, it's a matter of, making sure that the right personality is in the right uniform. I, I have a guy here who's a selling technician that I tried to make him a comfort advisor and just didn't work. And, you know, you put him back in the uniform and everything, you know, he just, he kills it. So um, it's just making sure that everybody's in the right, you know, in the right position. But I, I don't have a, I, you know, I've, I've been at places that just sold all with comfort advisors. Um, at Service Champions, we had both. Uh, we had a couple of comfort advisors, but we sold mostly by selling technician. So it's what it's what suits your business. It's what suits your clientele. Um, but certainly, if you have a comfort advisor who can wear a service uniform, that, that's that's the best of both worlds, right? And who who understands service, like a Daniel Arroyos, because he was a selling technician forever. He now operates. You know, he's not, he doesn't have tools in his truck anymore. Um, or he probably does, but he's not using them, right? He's letting the, the junior technicians do all that heavy lifting and he can come in and, you know, he can uh, get the deal closed. So I, you know, it, it, it's, it's different for every company. I've seen it done successfully a number of different ways, but it's just what suits, you know, your personalities and the people that you have. What, what about, um, you know, so maybe for some smaller companies or companies that haven't yet employed, uh, that hybrid model who are, who are still operating with, uh, you know, a true tech flip, uh, that type of scenario, 
what have what have been some of the the training points that you focused on in developing the conversation right so <clears throat> right now you know in our neck of the woods we just went well actually half the country went through like a massive cold sweep right i mean record low temps and everything right. and i was just talking with our install manager the other day saying coldness makes us weak right because when it gets cold like this <clears throat> everything becomes easy there's incredible pain there's incredible urgency you know, the unit's broken. It's not working today. I need heat, get it fixed. I don't care the price, put it in. Right. But that same, uh, flux of, or, uh, of, of leads and weather and all that coming in makes us weak because we get, we get, uh, complacent in our, our process and we start taking things out and stripping it down because it just became so easy to do so. So now that, you know, the weather comes back up, and we start getting those price objections again, or those, ah, I don't think maybe next year objections and all that. What have been the things that you focused your flip techs on in terms of helping them communicate the value of replacing the system or helping them understand the urgency of why they should do it now instead of later? Basically, how have you trained your guys to get a flip to the comfort advisor in that model? I think for me, this is all surrounding customer service. My company, you know, we are a customer service company that happens to service and install air conditioners. And I let my guys know that I am just as happy when they go into a call and they get a five-star review, or if they go into a call and sell a service agreement, as I am when they turn, you know, when they set up a turnover. I, you know, I love the revenue. I love when they turn a call over and we go out and sell it for 30 grand. That's great. But, you know, I, I want them to be equally rewarded and equally propped up for getting five-star reviews and for selling service agreements and creating future work for everybody else, you know, on our service team. So I don't, you know, I don't apply a ton of pressure. They, they know they have KPIs and metrics that they have to hit. but. I just, I want them to just give great customer service because if they give great customer service and our online reputation is stellar and we have all these five-star reviews, then people are going to read those reviews and they're going to say, I can't wait to have these guys come out. When we come out and we're delivering just a, an amazing customer service experience, they're just shaking their head and they're saying, this is exactly what everybody said online. And they're feeling it. And if they're feeling it, what you want to happen in the house is going to happen in the house. So for me, it's not communicating anything necessarily, but just to give a great customer service experience. And that includes, if you're, you know, if you're Johnny Te Junior Technician, it's the education, right? We, we get the customers involved. We touch them every 10, right? We're, Hey, I'm going to be out here at the condenser. Just wanted you to see what, we, what I'm looking at and what I'm going to be working on today. And you're showing them the before, right? With all the leaves inside of the condenser. And, you know, and then when you get them in 10 minutes, when you've got the lid off, when you've cleaned all the, the stuff out, once you've sprayed the, the condenser coil, once you've, you know, rinsed everything off, once you waxed the compressor and you bring it back out, they can't believe what they're seeing. They can't believe that they're paying $95 for this and nobody's ever done this for them before. And how did you restore it back to factory fresh condition? And this kid is dynamite, right? Let me go work on the indoor unit. And it's just, 
all of this momentum, right? They just love this kid. And they're bringing you a sandwich and, you know, they're, they just, they can't believe what's happening before their eyes. So, and as the education continues and you say, Hey, just wanted to make you aware of a couple of things. Took a look at your duct system and, you know, you've got old gray flex ducts. And let me tell you about that kind of duct. And let me show you your connections and all the dirt on the cut nine insulation and how all, you know, all those negative leaks are throwing dust into your airstream and blah, 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 blah. The education, their eyes are wide open. They're buying it, right? They're understanding that you're the professional and you're explaining to them all the things that they were afraid they might hear, but they like who's telling them all of this stuff. And when it comes time to say, hey, let's have somebody come out, give you your options. You know, I see a ton of potential repairs. I, I don't want you to make that decision without seeing the rest of the, you know, we're the kind of company that wants to give everybody all of their options so you can make an informed decision. So for me, it's about customer service. It's about education. And if you follow that pattern and follow that recipe, the turnovers will come. The five-star reviews will come. The service agreements will come. But I teach customer service here. And, you know, our online reputation reflects it. People love us. And the readers of the Los Angeles Times have voted us the best heating and air conditioning company in Los Angeles for the last three years running. And we're not a small city, right? A lot of people live here and they can vote for anybody, but they vote for my company. That's fantastic. Because, yeah, thanks. But we, we work hard on teaching them, give people a great experience. Absolutely. And if you do that, the rest will come. And that is something that I'm sure that you have learned over the years, specifically in your tenure with Abrams and with uh, Leland. Uh, that's something I kind of want to focus on here as we move into more of the graduate level classes of the education. You know, you've been in the industry for decades. You've worked under some of the best of the best, and you're probably making a name for yourself in that category as well right now. And over that time, you've seen the industry, not just HVAC, but the home services industry as a whole evolve, right? You know, it used to be this <clears throat> chuck in a truck mentality with a beat down pickup and a magnet on the side, maybe show up in a ratty t-shirt and some tools and grease on your face and go down to the basement and do your thing. And then Abram steps in and he, he flips it all on its head and <clears throat> turns this thing into almost a white collar service industry where you're literally wearing a white collar. You have shoe covers and on-time appointments and uniforms and, and, and branded trucks and all this stuff. And then you have Leland stepping in and just you know, putting incredible systems and processes in to back that all up. Where do you see the industry evolving to next? Like what is the next level of all that's going to take us to and what's that look like? Great question. Um, you know, I don't think that good old fashioned customer service will ever not have a place in our industry. Um, and yes, Mr. Abrams did teach us, you, you know, you, you, you knock twice and you back up two steps and, you know, friend, friends knock and strangers ring the bell. And, you know, there was just so much smart stuff that really just, you know, and, and it, it existed out there, right? Ron Smith is another brilliant, brilliant man that so many people owe a debt of gratitude to because he helped with all of this as well, right? There's just so many smart people that came before us that gave us the opportunities that we have. But I think that the customer service piece, um, 
But I, I think that becomes even more important because, you know, 20 years ago, you know, or 25 years ago, whatever, there was no Yelp, right? There were no Google ratings. There was, the world has changed. Everything we do is based upon how many stars you have. It doesn't matter if you're ordering a pizza or if you're ordering something off of Amazon and you want to read the reviews, it's all about the reviews. And if custom, if, if contractors are grasping that and really making an effort to capture those reviews, tell you what, that is, that is the thing in this business that I like on our group chat, I just make sure to acknowledge the reviews, right? Yes, they, they, you know, it says, hey, Johnny went out there and sold a system for 30,000 bucks. That's great. But I'll take five reviews as, a, you know, equally as much as I'll take that, that 30,000 in revenue. So I think that, you know, going forward, the reviews just continue to be really critical. Um, and, you know, my phone rings, my, our, our phones ring here um, because of that. So that's one thing. Um, I think that, you know, we're seeing this is 2023 is going to be a big year of change, uh, you know, from a regulatory standpoint. And, you know, I've had this discussion with my salespeople over the last couple of weeks, but, you know, the world is going to it. It's, it, it, there's an electrification happening, right? It's, it's going to be heat pumps. And here in California, the price per therm of gas, natural gas, in six or seven years is going to be seven times what it is now, which means that if I sell somebody a system, right, a, a gas furnace today, a, or, you know, a complete system, a gas electric system, seven years from now, they're potentially going to be very upset because they now have this seven-year-old furnace that it's just a fortune to, to heat their house. So we have to really start to talk to people about what's happening in the world and why you have to consider going to a heat pump right now because you don't want to be regretful about the decision six or seven years from now. You may have a, an additional electrical expense right now to, to convert to a heat pump system, but you know if you're doing the right thing for your customers, you're having those discussions now. You know we're gonna there's a there's a massive tax credit coming from the government. Um, you know, in 2023 for this conversion. And certainly here in California, there's there's like three or four additional rebates. We're talking, you know, this is real money, these rebates. And so I've been talking to them about that, but I think that's, you know, that's a change that we're going to be seeing and we have to be prepared and we have to be talking to people about this now. Um, so I'm making sure that, you know, as we're selling systems, I'm talking to all my salespeople saying, are you explaining this to people, right? Because we just need to be prepared to do a lot of heat pump conversions um, over the next, you know, number of years. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, and your question was, what are the changes are we going to see? But I think the, you know, we talked about the, the different ways of selling here, uh, comfort advisor or selling technician or, you know, the, the whole buddy check system. I think that that will continue to evolve. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the days of running a comfort advisor out to three calls and, you know, I think back to the persuasion system. I don't know if you guys were around in, in uh, clockwork at all when we had that, but, you know, the, the, the comfort advisor used to carry a little yellow suitcase and it was called the persuasion system. 
And, you know, and, and, and the world has changed since then, but that persuasion system had little cards in it that you would lay on the table and, uh, you know, there was the, the comfort survey was in there and your load calculation was in there and you had just tons of stuff in there. And, you know, that's one thing that we sort of left behind, right? Mr. Abrams gave us a bunch of great tools, but I think the world has changed a little bit and I think you're going to see less comfort advisors and, and more people in a service uniform selling. Um, but certainly selling that way, um, you know, with that little suitcase, I think that's gone by the wayside in a lot of places. Um, and it, it, it's, a, it's an easy business decision, right? If you're able to close turnovers at 60 or 70 or 80% and you're closing marketed leads with a comfort advisor at, you know, 30, 40, 45, 50%, I mean, what, you know, it's just all it is is math. So I think you'll see less people selling in a polo shirt and more people selling in a service uniform. But I think those are a few differences that we'll see over the, the next few years. I think these are important items for contractors to be thinking about, especially the, the electrification stuff. I agree with you. And I think uh, to some degree, buyers are, are more, are smarter today. You know, I, I it's very um, defensive when somebody with a, a suit and tie, so to speak, walks up to the door. <clears throat> I think people are looking for more of that organic experience. And that's why the the selling tech model, the hybrid model, that is, I think, really taking off and, and going to have legs for a long time here. Agreed. So, Lawrence, as as we kind of turn into more of the the structure behind things, uh, idea here with systems and processes to support the customer service that we do in the field. You know, customer service is only as good as the machine that backs it up, right? I mean. You can only, a person's word only goes so far until what they've promised or that what they've committed to follow through on doesn't actually happen. So you've, you've spent time in small organizations. You've certainly spent time in incredibly large organizations uh, that have required substantial amounts of structure and systems in place to make things happen. If I'm, you know, sitting at the, uh, the beginning of the new year here and considering my ways and I want to expand my business and things like that. What would be some of the systems that you would instruct me to make sure that I have really dialed in? Because it's so easy to get a mile wide and an inch deep on stuff. And you don't realize, like you feel like you're covering all this ground, but you don't really have things where they need to be. So if we were to focus in on a couple key structures or processes or, or systems that we would design or shore up to make sure that they are rock solid, what would be the things that you would tell me as either a business owner or a GM or maybe even a, a field supervisor or a service manager to really make sure that we have focus on that they're dialed in so that our customer service does what we intend it to do? I love that. A mile wide and an inch deep. I, I think this all goes, bound, goes back to, for me, structure and discipline and accountability. Um, and I can certainly tell you that I, you know, the years that I spent in the doors of service champions taught me so much about that. You know, Lilo Smith was an accountant and that business was run by the numbers. And, you know, he made a decision early on in that business that we were going to be different. And, you know, and it's funny because I was running one hour of Los Angeles and you know, I talked to Mr. Abrams, you know, many times weekly and he'd say, well, what is Leland doing? You know, because Leland was an airtime company. So he, he could see, you know, how well they were doing, but he, 
he really wanted to, you know, because he wanted us to be a success as well. We also had an agreement where he, you know, Mr. Abrams said, don't ever steal people from Leland, right? So I, uh, I tried not to recruit his people away because I'm a very predatory recruiter. But um, I, I think that the stuff that I learned from, from Leland was about the structure and the discipline. Um, you know, everything in that building was written down and signed. There was an understanding. And it, you know, it didn't matter position agreements for the technicians. You know, here's what we expect of you. If you don't hit those numbers, there are consequences. Sign here. Right. And, and it didn't matter, you know, what it was. Clean truck, sign here. Uh, arrival time, sign here. Have you done your door hangers? Sign here. Uh, your club ratio, how many service agreements you're selling, you know, uh, um, out of how many calls you go to, sign here. The amount of time that you spend on a call, the way that your uniform looks, all of that stuff. It was all in writing. There was an understanding. And if you weren't going to do your job, we were going to provide the training so that you could have the opportunity to do better. But, you know, sometimes it just didn't work out. And we were always recruiting. And we had people, you know, we had a recruiting class of however many, you know, I think today's recruiting classes over there are probably, you know, 40, 50 technicians. And they do that in, you know, maybe a dozen weeks. But if you weren't doing your job, guess what? Like, look over your shoulder. And, you know, I think that I run this business much the same way. I'm, I'm big on accountability. I, all of us have a job to do. And if we're not hitting the expectations that we were hired to hit, then, you know, there were going to be consequences. I, many years ago, at the first company that I worked for, I hired Charlie Greer to come out and to ride along with my technicians. And, you know, I remember the first day that he stood in front of everybody in, in the classroom, he told them that their job is to make money for the company, right? Their job isn't to make friends or to, you know, do anything other than to make money for the company. And I think that everyone needs to be reminded of that constantly. I have a lot of young technicians here. I have a, I have a whole recruiting system here and I've got a lot of young guys and I, I let them know. We put the numbers in front of everybody and there's no hiding, right? And that was something Terry Nicholson used to talk about is, you know, there's no hiding from the numbers. And, you know, we put them up and they are what they are. And if you want to be as successful as the guy sitting next to you, you have the power and the opportunity to do that every day. So I think for me, um, it's the accountability piece. It doesn't matter if you're a call center representative. There's a certain amount of, your, your call booking percentage should be, you know, a certain percentage. You need to be on time to your job every day. Um, you, you know, there's just, it's the expectation. And if you, if you don't have that in place, what you can expect is just a bunch of people going different directions and uneven performance. And you're looking at your manager saying, what's wrong with our business? Well, what's wrong with your business is that you're not managing your people. And they don't have a clear level of expectation. And, you know, that's where it begins. This is what I expect of you. If you're not hitting it, come on in my office and we can talk about why you're not hitting it. If we need to provide you additional training or tools to be able to do that, then we can do that. And to have a system that helps, you know, that helps these young people, um, you know, 
to get to where you want them to be. But, you know, sometimes you just discover that it's not a good fit. We hire a lot of people here and not everybody makes it, right? I mean, all you can do is give them the opportunity. So the accountability and the structure, written processes, everything signed, manuals. If you're not doing that stuff, it's just, you're not, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for disappointment later on. So Mr. Abrams taught us all of that stuff. He gave us books full of manuals. He gave us P&Ls. He gave us, he just showed us what, you know, everything should look like in a business that's going to do 20% net profit. So, you know, if you don't have access to those books, then maybe you need to look at being in a best practices group, right? Um, or having a network of friends that have been in those kinds of groups that know, you know, what you should be doing, you know, to, to reach that level of success. So to me, guys, it's always about discipline and process and procedure. So Lawrence, you've worked in uh, small and large businesses. Is that fair to say? Yes. All right. And if you could, I mean, kind of group them in, I don't know what's, what's fair, but maybe like a, a 5 million and under business, and then maybe like a five to 50 and then a 50 plus. If you look at those and maybe those three categories and you can say, all right, I'm the hiring manager. I'm the owner of these. And, and I want to make one key hire positionally, right? Uh, what, and either I, I need to go out and I need to get that person or I need to spend my time investing in that person because I believe this person for this size business is going to have the deepest impact on, on whatever it is that I care about. And you know, I know that's a broad question, but you get where I'm coming from. If you look I have at an that, easy answer. Okay, let's hear it. Go ahead. The recruiter. All a right. Recruiter. That's, you're not going to be able to fill any positions in your business unless you have somebody inside the building working 40 hours a week on bringing talent into the door for you to talk to. We, and this was something that I learned from Leland. Um, we hired two people once upon a time for that, for that duty. And we had two people working on that. And it takes the effort of those folks to establish relationships with trade schools and to spend their time just reaching out and contacting people that might make sense for your business. doesn't matter if they're a, an analyst. It doesn't matter if they're a, a controller. It doesn't matter if they're a call center representative. They have to be, you have to have somebody working on that. And because a recruiting plan isn't opening up your doors and saying, Hey, we did 5 million this year. We want to do 8 million next year. How are you going to get there? Right. Unless you buy another business, or unless you're your one million dollar salespeople, you know, double overnight, you have to bring in bodies. And so, a, a, a great recruiting plan, you know, as a part of your budgeting, you have to have a manpower plan. There's just no way to grow your business without having a great system. Back in 2012, I think um, we built a technician academy at Service Champions. We wrote a a training curriculum. I've and seen we decided that. It's, that we would, it's amazing. Brian and I have both yeah, visited. It's, and it, it was something that, because we, we, and it was that year, it was 2012, I believe. We just realized, listen, we, we have to have a really concerted effort if we're going to grow this business the way we want to grow it. I think we were at, I don't know, 17 million, something like, a, like that at that time. And so in order to bring 
the volume of people in that we needed to, to hit our budget and our goals, we hired two people to recruit. We built a training academy. We wrote a curriculum. I had one service manager who just literally sat at the computer and just wrote, 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 wrote. A very smart guy and gave a great head start to that program. But you have to have a program. And, you know, I have a program here and we do it in, you know, 10 weeks or so. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's for any size business. doesn't matter. If you're 5 million bucks, hire somebody to recruit. Um, because, you know, you also have people that you've identified in the business that are in your bottom 10% and that you want to replace. But you are at their mercy. You can't replace that person in the call center who has such a low booking percentage and you know that it's never going to change. And the only way to move them along is to have somebody to put in their place. Because if you just let them go, guess what? You're going to be answering the phone. So it, it just takes a really dedicated recruiting effort. And for companies who are serious about growth, you have to hire somebody inside. The smart companies have that. And um, I've got two of them. And, you know, that's the reason that we were able to add 40 bodies last year is because I'm, I'm constantly interviewing people, constantly. And I'm very selective. Um, so a lot of folks, you know, um, they're just not going to make it here. But I, you know, if I'm not seeing somewhere between, I don't know, seven, eight, nine people every week, then it's a failure. And I'm talking to my recruiters about why we're not seeing the volume of people that we need to see. How so many I want how eight many, players. How many people do you have currently? We're bumping up against a hundred. Um, okay. And you said you're, you said you're out of LA. We are. Nice. So how many recruiters do you have? I have two. Two recruiters. And do you have goals of what you're trying to get to and, and when in terms of people, or do you go by revenue or? No, it's by, uh, you know, if you get the people, the revenue, it's just a, all it is is math, right? And so, you know, for the, for the amount of people, you know, you, you establish your budget and you say, hey, we're going to do whatever, you know, 25 million this year. Then you need, then it's just, it's call count, it's revenue per lead, it's, uh, it, it's service invoices, it's, it's, you know, it's just one big math. You know, that, 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 uh, that meme of that guy who's got all that stuff on that whiteboard and all the strings and, yes. you, you know, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's what it is, right? It's, it's that. And, um, you know, but if you establish budget, uh, have a This is why I'm glad we don't have a video because I shook my head no and Nate is now scouring the internet to find it for me. <laughs> I, I, and I don't know the guy, I don't know. He was on some show. He's a little guy with a beard and it's a well-known thing. It's, you know, it's the whole crime board, right? Where you got the strings, the, oh, the red string. Oh, you're, and talking the little... about, you're talking about Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yes. Yeah, That's okay. the guy. Darryl. That's the guy, right? Yeah. That's the guy. And I've got that board in my office. I've got that board in my office. All right. We're going to post that in the Facebook group uh, when this episode. (laughs) There we go. There we go. People who are serious about growth, they have that board in their office, right? I got whiteboards all over this room or this, this building. Um, And, you know, there's a purpose to that. Right. And I leave stuff on those whiteboards and because I want it to be seen. So yeah, you'll catch me creeping around this building and writing stuff on those whiteboards that I, that I need them to see and keep in mind. Um, but 
you know, so I, I think, and your original question was, what's the one position? It's a recruiter or two. But there are a lot of guys that have figured that out that are really smart, you know, big operators. They do that. They have that process down. They have their own school. Um, but for the smaller guys, you know, you just have to weigh it out, right? You're going to end up paying somebody, you know, whatever it is, 30 bucks an hour, um, 25 bucks an hour. I don't know, whatever you're, you, the kind of candidate that you find, but they have to be able to source talent for you because, and I can tell you this, when I started doing this, um, and as this, you know, started to grow and, and my plate started to become more full, I believe that, you know, I, I could do everything better than anybody else in my building, right? Let me do the recruiting. Let me do the marketing. I'll handle all of it. I guarantee you, I didn't spend the time on recruiting that I ever needed to. I didn't understand it at that point in my career. It always got pushed. The, you know, it was under a stack on my desk. And, you know, now all these years later, I understand it. And I understand that's the way to grow, right? I wish I would have figured that out, you know, 20 years ago. But my younger self, uh, listening to my older self, is that the recruiting piece, don't do it yourself. You're not going to have the time. You're not going to devote the effort to it that another body will if it's their entire job. So you would say that same answer regardless of company size? Well, I, you know, I've, I've also been a, a one and a half million dollar company, right? When I walked into the door of that, that place many years ago. And in that case, you and I don't know, recruiter. yeah, you become the recruiter or, you know, you've got a CSR, you've got a, you know, you've got somebody who's doing your bookkeeping. Uh, then maybe you go on to Upwork, right? And you find somebody to do it virtually for you. Or maybe your wife is at home doing it or, you know, your daughter or somebody. You just have to have people making contact with other people. So, you know, if you're a really small contractor looking to grow, you, you have to you have to be talking to people, right? Because guaranteed, you have somebody either driving a truck for you or answering phones for you or installing equipment for you that probably shouldn't be working for you, right? And that's a really tough position to be in. And you can't let them go because you don't have someone to replace them with. So the quickest way to, you know, to, to have a bunch of A players is just have someone reaching out and recruiting. Yeah, that's something that I think everybody in the industry continues to struggle with and why so many guys have turned to doing internal training, apprenticeships, schooling, whatever it is, or getting them straight out of school. Uh, what have been some of your most effective places to recruit? Um, certainly the, the trade schools have been... Uh, a great friend uh, to us here at Brody and, you know, even at places like service champions, right. Um, you know, but we're at, at service champions, we were, it was a little different when we started doing that many years ago, we would put up an ad and we would say, Hey, we're interviewing for all positions. And the job market in Orange County was such that a lot of people were looking and we would have a line out the door of maybe like 50 or 60 people. We'd bring them all into the, the meeting room us managers would sit in the back of the room and every one of them had the opportunity to stand up at the front of the room at the podium speak for three minutes about themselves where they're working now what position they're applying for why are they here you know what's wrong with their current job and after listening to 50 of them 
most managers would say, okay, we want number one, number four, number 17, and number 26. Dismiss the rest. And we would re-interview those four. We'd bring them back a couple of days later and interview them again. And, you know, we went through this whole process and, and that's, uh, you know, that's how we identified people, right? Um, you know, today, uh, in, 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 in today's world, um, you know, it's, it's a little more specialized, I think. Um, but that was an effective way. And for companies that don't even have that in place, just do it, just open up your doors and post a great, you know, a great picture in your ad of your, your building or some of your people working and your, your, you know, your newly wrapped truck and, you know, tell them, Hey, we're hiring for all positions. And, you know, you'd be surprised. You'll find a, you know, you'll find a diamond. We were recruiting for personality for the field. Nothing, you know, not for skill, right? We had people coming in that were, had 20 years of experience with another company and we just weren't interested in that, right? We didn't want somebody with bad habits, somebody who'd worked for another company and didn't want to do it our way because the way that they know is better. We weren't looking for that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's great to find fresh new talent, uh, you know, recruit for personality and, and we can train them how to turn a wrench, but just looking for those people who will make your customers happy. Like I spoke about earlier, it's all about customer service. If your customers are happy, they're going to write those reviews and your phone will ring. So you've seen, um, aside from amazing operators and being mentored by some of the, you know, the best operators in the history of the industry, you've also seen some of the best technicians in industry and probably in the history of the industry and had a lot to do with their training and development. But something I know from doing, doing a lot of that myself the last nine years is just getting to watch them is like, uh, apart from training them, just seeing them develop and how they develop themselves and the things that they do separately outside of the company and, and their mentors that make them grow exponentially. Um, I talk about the stuff that I see often, but it would, I thought it'd be really cool to get some perspective from somebody else who's done the same thing for quite a bit longer than I have. What are some things like the, the biggest things that you see that separate guys like Daniel Arroyas from the, the people who either come in and never really develop into the potential that you know they have, or they just come in, fizzle out fast and go back to one of the, the uh, crummier places to work where you just punch a time card and never really develop. Uh, great question. Um, I think, you know, it, it, it all goes down to the work ethic. Um, Daniel Arroyas is a really special talent. Um, you know, at that time at Service Champions, we just, it was, it was an embarrassment of riches. The, the, the sales team, um, just up and down. I, I just don't, I don't know that you could, ever duplicate something like that. And I know everybody's got big successful companies, but what was going on in that room was incredible. Um, Daniel Arroyas, his work ethic, incredible. Uh, you know, he, he's going to spend three hours, right? He's going to spend three hours and he's going to leave with the sale and he's going to educate people and he's going to let them, understand why we're the company that, that people should be doing business with. He's going to do all right. And I remember times when he sold at one house and then he walked across the street and sold them 
and he walked down the street and sold them. This happened. This is real life stuff. And wow. that's one of just, those stories. No, if, this, if, if I was on a show being interviewed, like he was a few weeks ago here, I probably would have told that story. You know, he would, he would never tell it. And <laughs> I, I just, I, I remember the stuff that this guy, you know, just at the end of the day, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm speaking literally at the end of the day, I would check and see who was still on calls. Right. And I could just tell by the time being spent what we were going to sell, you know, and with Arroyos, you know, you see that he's two hours in two and a half hours in when that guy gets two, two and a half hours into a call, there's no way he's walking out of there without the money. There's no way. Um, so, you know, he's work ethic. He just, he would tear the system apart and do a million pieces and show them exactly why it makes sense to have a system that can make you comfortable, that can, you know, save you money on, on your utility expense, that can give you a better quality of air. He just, he was expert in that. A very direct and a very authoritative communicator. And that really worked for him. Um, you know, I had the good fortune of at that same company coaching a comfort advisor who was so many years in a row, number one on the airtime board nationwide. His name is Jim Dotson. And, you know, this guy is the, he is the model, right? He is exactly what you want. And the same thing, you know, he's, he's going to go into a call and spend time. That was the common denominator. We spent time. That team, they worked late. They understood what was it. And when I say late, these people were walking out of calls at 9 and 10 and 10.30 p.m., whatever it took, whatever it took. They knew that they had to spend time, and and they they understood that. So it was the work ethic, um, you know, of those great folks. I have a, a selling technician that works for me now that he started working for me probably 15 years ago. And he's, you know, he is a one hour guy also, and he understands all of that smart stuff. And, you know, because of that, he carries that in his back pocket and he understands what the, the, the comfort survey is, right. And he understands getting the, 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 the uh, objections out early. Right. And he's not afraid to, you know, the customer is, they're nervous when you show up and he understands that he has to get some of that uncomfortable stuff out of the way early and, you know, talk about them making a decision today, you know, and if we have everybody who's a decision maker in the house, you know, present and, you know, it's very uncomfortable to talk about price. It's, it's not what the customer wants to deal with, but let's start to talk about like the comfort survey asked, you know, the ranges, right? The price ranges. This is, this Jim Abrams, John Young stuff from 25 years ago is just, it's so applicable today. It all, it, it works. Many use it. Um, and I think universally, all the great salespeople and selling technicians that have worked for me, they've just been great at creating urgency. Um, my entire career, except for three years in British Columbia, my entire career has been spent in Southern California. And in Southern California, we have no weather to speak of, right? It is, you know, it's always in the 70s and overnight temperatures are in the 50s. And 
yeah, we, you know, we get a little bit of rain here and there and we might have a few nights that, you know, dip lower than that. And here in the city in Los Angeles, it doesn't get to a hundred, right? In the valleys it does, but in the city, you know, you're in the high eighties and, and maybe the low nineties on the very hottest days. So our salespeople, our company advisors, our service technicians in this city have to work hard. And I remind them of this constantly. When the weather is mild, we have to work harder. We can't skip the steps. We don't have weather at our back. It's not, you know, it's just we have to educate people. We have to create our own urgency. You know, I talk to them about the home shopping network all the time, right? The home shopping network is easily the greatest example of creating urgency. You turn on the TV and, you know, you've got uh, the lady and she's showing you the pots and pans and she's, you know, there's a little grid on the side of the screen that says there are 47 copper sets left and there are 172 steel sets left. And, you know, so those are being updated and there's a countdown count or countdown clock at the bottom right. And, you know, you're running out of time to make the deal. And on the bottom of the screen, it says you can make three easy payments of 69.95. And let me talk to Jane. Jane's calling in from Raleigh, North Carolina. Jane, talk to us about these pots. Oh, I bought three sets for everybody for Christmas. And like, you're just, it's madness what's going on, right? They're coming at you from all directions. And, you know, the housewives are sitting there with a the credit card and their head is spinning and they're, they're dialing in and, you know, they're just ordering and, and it's creating urgency where it doesn't exist, right? This is a warehouse full of boxes of pots. But in the right hands, amazing urgency can be created and amazing results can happen. And the great ones, they know how to create urgency. And here in Los Angeles, we have to do it every day because we do not have weather. We don't have 110 degrees. Ten we don't months. have... Yeah, 10 months of shoulder season. Eight months of shoulder season. Yeah. Spring, it, spring, exactly. spring, and summer. It, it's so funny. My family's in Denver, right? I'm from Colorado. And on the little family group chat over the last week, all of these pictures of the snow and, you know, minus four and minus 15 and all of this stuff. And last Sunday it was 80 or 83 or something like that here. So I would love, God, just to have some snow on the ground. I can't imagine what that's like. But we don't have it here, right? Furnaces aren't breaking. I don't, I don't walk in and we have, you know, uh, 26 no heat calls on the board. It doesn't happen. We are selling service agreements. We are running maintenance calls. And we are creating urgency by giving a great customer service experience. That's what we have to do here. And as a result, I think we have a lot of... Southern California is populated by some of the best uh, selling technicians and salespeople just because, you know, we've been forced to have to make it happen for ourselves. We don't, you know, we're not rolling up to calls and there's a pop capacitor on every call. It doesn't work like that here. Sound advice there, Lawrence. And so appreciate you uh, bringing in those analogies with the shopping network. I think that's really appropriate for what we're trying to do here and creating urgency. Uh, as we bring things in for a landing here, I'm sure some people are interested in learning more about you, Lawrence, or how to get in touch with you. What's a what's a good place for them to find you or to reach out? Sure. Um, email is best. And my email address is Lawrence, my first name, 
L A W R E N C E at BrodyPanel.com. That's B R O D Y P E N N E L L. Two N's, two L's. And uh, I'm always happy to help. You know, I, 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 I like to pay it forward, right? I learned a lot of great stuff from a lot of smart people and it's helped me and I'm, you know, I'm always happy to help people that, uh, that, that need it. So. Awesome. This truly has been, uh, an hour plus time, time of, uh, just gaining that compressed education and there's so much more. We really appreciate you sharing with us today, Lawrence. And the final question that I just want to ask you here is on your personal journey in 2023, you know, what is the key focus for Lawrence this year? That's a good question. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that I can do better, right? I've been doing this a long time and I don't have all the answers, but you know, I just, you know how they always say, just try to be 1% better every day. Um, you know, if I can just spend a little more time with my, my young technicians, um, do one, one extra training meeting to explain to them the importance and the benefits of a service agreement or what IAQ products make the most sense for our customers. If I can spend a little more time in our call center and, you know, let those, those folks know that, um, you know, that we care and that, that we want this to be the kind of place to work that we promised it would be when we hired them. You know, we talked a lot about recruiting, but the retention of people is so important. And, you know, and that's, that's really an important note is that you make these promises to people and you have to deliver. You have to stay in touch with them. You can't hire somebody and they're working for you for two weeks and they feel lost and they don't know where to go and they feel out of place and they don't feel trained. And if you're talking to them constantly, you, you, you know this stuff and you can handle it. But if you don't, they become disillusioned. They're going to want to leave. You know, they just so. Employee retention is probably what I need to work on the most um, this next year, just making sure all the people are happy that we're meeting our promises and, and to keep recruiting, just keep building a great company that we're proud of and keep making our customers happy. That's a great place to leave it there, Lawrence. Thank you so much for taking some time and sharing all of your vast amount of knowledge with us, even if it was just for a short period. We really appreciate it. And I know that our guests will as well. It has been so good. If you have questions for Lawrence, make sure that you reach out to him on the methods of communication that he provided. And again, Lawrence, thank you so much for being with us today. Gentlemen, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was great talking to you, buddy. I look forward to catching up again and let's do another episode next year. Sounds good. I'm game. See you, man. Thanks, guys. Hey, that's a wrap for this episode. We hope that you enjoyed our podcast with Lawrence Castillo. So incredible to have that amount of knowledge in such a short period of time. It took him years and decades to gain it. And we are so thankful that uh, we were able to have him on today. Hope that you were able to gain something from uh, the many topics that we discussed. And I encourage you to take that and go deep on it, right? That's something that I think we believe in here in terms of making the most of of the knowledge that we have and then applying it to what we can do. Uh, We hope that uh, you are finding this podcast to be beneficial. Leave us a five-star review. If you have some time, we'd sure appreciate it and leave us a comment. We'd like to know what you're thinking about it and what you'd like to hear as we explore 2023. 
That's it for this show. And we hope that you have found it beneficial to you. We want to leave you now with our challenge, which is to wake up every single morning and choose to waste no day.